the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. I am your co-host, JP Ajampad, and with me as always is the star of the show, former WWE World Tag Team Champion, eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, and of course, one of the greatest trainers in professional wrestling history, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you doing today? What a day to be alive, huh? I'm doing great. I couldn't be better. Absolutely insane up going out there in the world but hopefully we can uh you know bring some levity or some great stories and kind of get people's attention away from all the uh, coronavirus stuff but uh you're still out there you know about right i mean you're still out there traveling and and kind of doing your thing well as of right now yeah so i've, I've already had a couple uh people cancel on me but i certainly understand i mean it's a tough time for everybody out there any independent contractor i think uh it, it's it's going to be a challenging next couple weeks at least but i'm i'm uh yeah i'm i'm amazed at what's going on i think a lot of people are too it's crazy 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 it's crazy but of course you know like i always do we always check out dr tom on twitter and a lot of people still singing their praises. Uh, Zicky Dice, I saw some. You guys were kind of going back and forth. Well, uh, well let me let me stop you right there real quick because I just did a camp this weekend in uh, uh, Raleigh, Mississippi, and I brought up Zicky Dice as a guy who, when you look at him, he automatically automatically communicates something different uh we can call it that star quality we can call it that it quality i i have yet to see an actual zicky dice match but i've seen some of the stuff he's done where he's gone out where people were uh uh protesting something or yelling at something i've just caught glimpses and bits and pieces of him and, and saw the name and I, all i had to do was look at that character look at that persona and i said this guy is interesting and he was a perfect example to use uh, for me, anyway, for that um, seminar. And I don't know who told him or who got back to him, but somebody obviously did. And uh, I'm, I meant every word I said. The current NWA television champion as well. So he's uh, doing some big things right now. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, good for him. Never met him, uh, but good for him. 
Now, the focus of today's episode is FCW, Florida Championship Wrestling, and it's something that we've brought up here and there, and we kind of teased it a couple of weeks ago saying that, oh, well, a big documentary came came out, and uh, WWE was down there filming. So how did that whole process start? Because a future WWE, the FCW story, is a documentary available on the WWE Network. So how did they kind of contact you about it? Uh uh, a guy by the name of Shook Moore contacted me in, uh, oh gosh, December, right before Christmas, and said, uh, sent me a text saying uh, that the, the the idea was uh, going around to, to <laughs> we have an idea to do the uh, do a documentary on FCW, and we would like you to be a part of it. Um. Are you interested? Duh. So, uh, of course I'm interested. Yes, love to. Give me some dates and when you would be down. And uh, uh, they came down to Knoxville, came over to the JPWA, and we sat down for four hours and talked about a lot of stuff. And it was uh, it was a very very cool time. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, that was those were really some some great times. And uh, it, it was an emotional four hours because he kept bringing up these these moments and these uh, experiences. And uh, obviously, he had already talked to other guys about it and other people about it, guys and gals down there. And uh, I started thinking, yeah, that was that was a pretty um, exciting experience. It was it was, it was a, a, a great learning experience, not only for all the all the kids down there, but for me too. So yeah, right around, uh, Christmas time, uh, I knew they were coming in and then January sometime they came in and we sat down and talked. And, they, and, and by the way, I thought they did a hell of a job on it all the way around. Yes. So you were able to see the final product? No, not until last week. Oh, okay. I mean, not, not until it came out. I, I didn't see the final product until it came out. I had no idea what they were going to use and not use. So, I mean, I, I, I saw the final product when it came out, uh, when when it premiered, yes. Right, right. So what did you kind of think of it? I thought it was great. I thought they did a hell of a job. Uh, I thought they captured pretty much what we did. And, and um, nobody can really fully grasp or understand uh, when someone says, hey, we walked in and there, there were stacks of food, stacks of canned goods everywhere. Or nobody understands what developmental was like back then when WWE had a different way of um, contracting it out, so to speak. It was just the way they did business back then. And uh, as as Hunter was getting more and more power and, and gaining um, influence behind the scenes, he had a great vision. Um, I think... At one time, we all had a vision of something like PC. Now, it, it would have been great, but but it just wasn't what was. Uh, it wasn't the environment or the lay of the land or, or the way uh, WWE wanted to see the developmental at that time. Uh, so when Hunter came along, um, he had that great vision, but you you fully can't. Well, obviously, with anything, you fully can't grasp what that experience was like if you weren't there to uh, uh, to feel like it was on those hot summer days, or to feel like it was when it was really freezing outside. Because Tampa can get cold on occasion, not very often, but 
but you know it's it's um it was one of those things where you were coming to the to the warehouse or coming to the FCW arena or or training facility if you will and uh we were going to train uh and I thought they pretty much conveyed that you know and the guys who who got it got it and there were some guys who came in and said uh wow this is <laughs> this is WWE developmental I expected a little more and I I totally understood that too uh but Every day, I think uh, myself, Norman, Billy, Steve, we all approached it as our job isn't to make this place um, look pretty. It's it's to be able to give you guys a place to learn your craft and uh, get a little dirt on you, sweat some, and, and it's not always going to be pleasant. It's not always going to be nice, but that's part of life. I mean, life isn't always pleasant. Life isn't always nice. And neither is wrestling. And uh, I thought it kind of gave an edge. And I still do. I still think uh, FCW was a, was a success. And I think it was uh, everybody who went through those doors came through those doors. Ricky Steamboat, uh, Norman Smiley especially, Billy Kidman especially. Uh, we're invaluable too, and I said Dusty Rhodes was invaluable. That's, that's the truth. Where in the world uh, could you get? Now, forget someone like Dusty Rhodes. Hell, we had Dusty Rhodes in FCW, so uh, it was it was a great system and set up for the time, and it was for it it um, supplied the need uh, that was needed at the time. So I, I thought they did a great job, and and I think most people described it adequately and how they felt <laughs> felt about it when you first see it you know yeah it was kind of nondescript black and yellow on the outside but eventually when we ran tv we got some pretty enthusiastic crowds and uh the guys all went out and busted their butts and i i, I think that was what we were after and that's what we got so who secured this location? Like, why that location, that training facility, that warehouse, so to speak, with the food? We were looking. Uh, Steve and I, Steve Kern and I would, would ride around together after practice or before practice sometimes. And uh, he had leads from real estate agents on, on buildings around town. Some some warehouses were good. Some weren't. We looked at a few. Uh, but finally, this building uh, was on Dale Mabry, which is uh, – <coughs> pardon me – which is a, a main drag in Tampa, and it's close to the Gandhi Bridge. Um, Tampa has three main bridges, the Howard uh, – gosh, Howard, Howard something bridge, uh, the Howard Fine Bridge, whatever it is, I don't know, then the Gandhi Bridge and the St. Pete Bridge. But there's three bridges – they connect Tampa to the uh, beach side of St. Petersburg or Clearwater. And it was close to Gandhi. It was an easy location to say, you know, 50, 54, 35, or 55, 34, whatever the address was, Dale Mabry, uh, you know, come on out and see Florida Championship Wrestling. Tampa was a lot like uh, Tennessee is, I guess, the state of Florida. You know, they had some old-school wrestling fans. When, when Dusty Rhodes... Um, who hadn't been really in action or on TV in, in many, many years. When Dusty Rhodes went anywhere around Tampa, and I went a few places with Dream, uh, he was recognized. And the people knew where Dale Mabry was. And it was a location 
that if you drove by and you looked, you saw the FCW uh, yellow letters. I mean, you 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 could see it from from the street. Um, and then you know, if you were curious, you, you stopped in. So we stopped. I think we we got that building because it was the right price. They were willing to work with us. The guy next door who owned it was a fellow by the name of Jimmy. Can't remember his last name, but Jimmy was was a good guy, uh, accommodating and did help helped us uh, in all the things that we needed help with. So I think that was the main thing. You know, it was all in Steve's name. Steve had all the responsibility pretty much dumped in his lap. Uh, and that was the same with OVW, HWA, and uh, Deep South as well. So, I mean, that was status quo for, for the way developmental was being ran back then. So you said he had all the responsibilities. A lot of people don't think realize this. He's like the owner-owner. I mean, it's not like Vince or, or whoever. Steve Kern is the actual owner of FCW, correct? That's that's correct. He was the owner and president. Uh, WWE were sending their talent, and we had a. Uh, I was I was an employee. First of all, let me let me clarify that. Steve, I believe, was um, under contract, but his contract was different than mine. Uh, so while everyone there was actually working for or with WWE, FCW was not owned by WWE. Uh, For whatever reasons they had, legal, personal, (laughs) I'm sure it wasn't personal, it was all legal. Uh, For whatever reasons they had back then, that's kind of just the way it worked. But it didn't didn't, uh, negate our job or, or... or minimize what we wanted to do or, or did do when we were there, we still took it as uh, what it was. We were getting guys and girls ready to go to WWE. That was our main purpose, uh, and to get them ready for uh, performing live. And and Steve had a had some connections around Tampa. That's another reason I think John Laurinaitis picked Tampa because Steve did have connections and could get these guys on some shows and uh they, they weren't interested in uh, doing what they're doing now with NXT I guess so obviously otherwise they would have you know where everybody uh where it was a different brand there was talk at one time that FCW once we got TV could could be a whole new brand onto itself and and do what they're doing now although uh, although the steps pieces were never really seriously put in place. Um, but it was a place to go and uh, learn your craft. And if you loved it, uh, you loved it. And if you hedged just a bit, it could be some grueling, hot, brutal days. Uh, but, you know, 90% of the people that were there uh, were going were gonna to accomplish their goal no matter what it took. So you said you were an employee. Technically speaking, they were calling you the head trainer. Is that the official title? Yeah, I was a head coach. That, that was the official title because we, we we had that discussion. What, what How are we delegating this? Who Who is what? Who does what? And uh, that's the way it was, it was. I think it was on the contract, either head coach or head trainer. So is that by Steve or is that by WWE, maybe Johnny? A? No, that was, that was John. That was John Laurinaitis. 
John's the one who put me in, in that position there. He put me in that position uh, uh, when he came on board, uh, and I came back with uh, Deep South. He put me in that position as mm-hmm. uh, head trainer, but that then it just carried over to Tampa. So are you working at this point, technically speaking, is it like, let's say, Johnny Ace is giving you orders, or as soon as you get put down there, you get plugged in, Steve Kern is your boss, go. You know, like oh, like no, that. no. Yeah, no, no, no. Steve Steve was uh, uh, the guy who ran the building. Steve was the guy who was in charge of the logistics. Steve, and Steve also coached, and Steve also gave advice. Uh, you, you know, he was around, too. But his main um, uh, position was making sure we had towns, making sure the operation was operational and making sure uh, whatever snags there were were unsnagged and, and just making sure that the everyday businesses ran. Uh, we were pretty much um, the coaching staff uh, that was named as, again, myself, Norman Smiley, Billy Kidman in the beginning, um, pretty much took care of the meat of the training. Then when Dream came on and, and we – started getting more into the promos and hand-in-hand and hand with, with uh, the matches and angles and things like that, uh, it, it just carried on from there and, and progressed. So John was the actual guy when I was sending my reports to. He was the guy that we would uh, communicate. Him and another guy who uh, I think defines the word inadequate would be Ty Bailey, and who was just um, – uh, didn't know how to talk to people, in my opinion. Didn't know how to communicate. Was in the wrong job at the wrong time at the wrong place. So, just just an opinion. Whatever happened to him? He got fired. That's what happened to him. When it, when it, see when uh, the change of administration takes place, and I certainly get it, understand it. Uh, there's changes being made. Ty was fired. I was fired. Uh, they brought new people in on that end of it, and uh, uh, you know, there. Well, while things were going on all around us, uh, and we would ask questions, we would get uh, conflicting answers at times. And once again, I've been on their side of the fence. I've been on the ones giving the conflicting answers before. I, I've, I've been on that side. I understand. I've, I've <laughs> You know, I was on that other end of the uh, receiver or phone line, whatever it was. Now I'm on this end of it, and I'm going, oh, wait a minute, guys. I've I've heard this script before. I get it. And there there was nothing that could be done because uh, what needed to be done and what should have been done is exactly what was done. They they replaced the people they wanted to replace, put their people in place, and uh, went on to the performance center, and God, man, <laughs> what a what a facility, and, and what an operation to be able to go to. And Jerry, I think Jerry Briscoe said it best. It made it an easier sell for him when he was talking to college athletes and, and athletes who who have had that uh, luxury or that experience training. So I mean. I, I understood it. It wasn't easy to swallow at the time, and it wasn't easy to always, you know, to take because that that was my uh, my love, my life. That was that was what I was doing. But uh, I understood the business. I understand that happens, and 
It ain't, it ain't always nice when it happens to you, but guess what? Uh, suck it up, buttercup. It'll happen. Right. And I guess sometimes that's just kind of business, but backtracking all the way to kind of the beginning of FCW and the documentary was really good and it was really well done. Like you said, you were talking for four hours. I believe it's condensed to an hour and a half. So I'm sure a lot of decent stuff um, happened to get cut off. I'm very, very sure of that. Oh yeah. Yeah, there was, I mean, but, but, but I don't think it was necessary to tell the story they told because they, they got an accurate account, I think, of how things were. Um, it wasn't the most modern. It wasn't the most convenient. It wasn't the most uh, comfortable at times. But we had passion. We had dedication. Uh, we did have focus, regardless of what anybody says. There was focus there. And... You can hang your hat on whatever you want to hang it on, but uh, the facts are the facts. Look at who came out of there. Look at what happened with it. And, you know, that's that's really the bare bones of what you want. Who came out? What did they do? Um, did we accomplish what we set out to? Hell, yeah, we did. And I thought we did uh, above and beyond. I remember Steve saying that uh, when they first started, he had a talk with Vince, and Vince says if he gets two people out of developmental each year he'll be happy, and, I, and we've surpassed that the first year. So, uh, you know, they can a, anybody can say what they want, and that's that's great. Everybody has an opinion, but nobody except the ones who were there, uh, and the ones who were there were there five days a week. Sometimes when we wrestled on. Uh, uh, you know, the weekends, you know, they were working six days and they were busting their ass doing everything they could to make it. And it was kind of like we would send reports um, in, but then we would be on this island and I likened it to maybe running the war in Vietnam from Washington. You think you know what's going on and you're hearing from the generals on the ground and the generals say, we need air power. We need, we need cover here. We need help. And they say, okay, it's coming your way. And five weeks later, it arrives. Well, we know we needed it then. So, I mean, but just things like that happen. But it wasn't a big deal, man. We we, we, we managed that. That helped us to, to learn how to uh, think on your feet and, and make what you have with what you have. So you mentioned Johnny Ace before and being one of the guys you kind of report to. What's, what's he like? What was the relationship like? What's he like at this point in time? Yeah, I got to say, John was good. John was okay. John um, uh, was a businessman, is a businessman, and uh, but I think he, he wanted FCW to work because he, he was a Florida guy, too, at one time, and uh, he and Steve were very good friends, So he, but he was okay to, to work with. I, I think anybody in that position uh, has an enormous uh, an enormous amount of pressure on their shoulders, and they carry it with them every day because they're reporting events, and depending on what, what day it is, you don't know what he wants. And um, it's your job to make sure things run smooth. And John did everything he could to help us, uh, but there were times, like I said, we, we would talk to Ty, or I would talk to Ty, and and, and there's exceptions when... Uh, you know, this is years ago, but and and I and I I understand 
a businessman's perspective, but I'm a wrestler. I come from the old school. I'm a worker, let me say that. And I know what the guys are going through because I see it and I'm with them every day. And I'm trying to explain something to Ty or say something to whoever it might be at that time. And they don't get it. But, but it's not their job to get it. But it's my job to get what we need or to, to make them understand why this is happening. They don't really care about the why, so I, I found out, which is fine. But um, you're asking me a question, do you want an explanation or not? Really, you don't really want the explanation. You just want to bitch. You just want to moan. You just want to show me that you're a uh, corporate executive. <sighs> Perfect. I get it. Uh, but John was okay. John got it because John was one of the boys. He understood, but now he's not one of the boys because he's in the office. But John also knew how to talk to people. And um, so, but but we got along fine with John down there. Uh, and it was it was good. So he's been around for, I'd say, about 20 years now working for Vince. Pretty, uh, pretty long time for a guy working for Vince. Well, John is a smart guy. I will give him that. John understands what he has to do. Uh, John understands uh, what what the game is, and he's a smart guy. He does. He understands how to put together a match. Uh, I remember hearing stories of him putting together matches in Japan for everybody. You know, he was involved with Doctor Death, and uh, you know, working with Hanson and and. So he showed he was on his he was on his toes. He he um he knew how how to make things happen, and you know, I admire that. So uh, to be there twenty years uh, straight is is something to, is is an accomplishment. So yeah, he 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 got it. He understood it. It is a game. One great thing that I kind of took away from the documentary for sure was how many of the guys kind of put you over, Tyson Kidd. Natalia, Heath Slater, the Bella Twins, Sheamus, all put you over big. Is that kind of a cool feeling? Like, wow, you know, I guess I accomplished uh, a lot given that all these guys love me. It's it's a really cool feeling. Uh, and I've said this before, and I'm not just saying it, but I don't, I really don't know why. I, I, I'm, I'm happy and I'm very glad because it's sincere with those guys and it's sincere for me too. But all those people, all those guys. Um, yeah, how could it not be cool? It's, it's very, very cool. It's, it's very humbling. It's and it's kind of like uh, embarrassing because you're going, man, she, I, I appreciate it, but oh my god, what do you what do you say when somebody says that? Well, thank you very much. No, really, I mean it. I know, and I know you do. Thank you very much, but I don't have a comeback for that. It's just I, I'm glad they feel that way. It's very appreciative on my part, and it's humbling, and it, and it is. It's 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 like. Yeah, I didn't know at the time because I can scream and yell, and I can say things that just—I'm not proud of it. But yeah, I made people cry, but that's sometimes because I want to get it out of you, and I want to—I want you to feel something. So then, when you do, and you get that anger or that sadness or just some kind of emotion, then I know it's there. At least, at least I know how to channel or get you to channel. Some kind of emotion. And if I need you to be mad, I'm going to do everything in my power to get you mad. I'm going to do everything in my power to, to bring out something, or feeling, where uh, whether it's happy, sad, um, loud, quiet, 
you know, thought-provoking, um, in the ring, while you're doing a drill, promos, whatever it is, promos with streams area, but we hit promos too, even, even while, uh, uh, practicing just to make a point. And, um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, yeah, it was very nice. And Natty's always been been a big supporter. So as TJ, all those guys have been very supportive uh, when I left and through the years stayed in touch. So it, it, it's it's very it's very very cool. It's very humbling and um, and and I'm grateful to have those guys be on my side like that. It, it's it's very very cool. Also, it's cool. Seth Rollins. Drew McIntyre, two current big dogs in WWE, really put you over. Kurt Hawkins really put you over. They said, basically, you're like one of the boys. You It took a lot to get your respect, but once you got your respect, you really earned it, and they felt like that was really important to them. And you were kind of like the young son hero of uh, FCW. And, again, that was very nice of, of Seth to say that, too. I don't know – I don't know uh, – I, I don't know exactly what that meant but but it doesn't matter i know he's trying to be complimentary and, and, <laughs> and i appreciate that i certainly do but i think um especially being down there and in the environment we were in and in the place we had been um put uh, everybody like i said i think Corey graves said it best it felt like Toy Story with the big claw coming down and grabbing one of the toys, and you're all looking up saying, oh, he's going to a better place and getting on the roster. That that was your goal when you were in FCW. We weren't always giving feedback. There was there were times, but we didn't always have time to sit with everybody and say, here's what's going on with you. Number one, we didn't always get feedback from the office in a timely manner. Um, like I said, you know, hey, can you give us this? Well, five weeks later, we get this, and we needed it then. But so it was up to us. And I, I understood when I saw the, the looks on these guys, and they're coming in, and they're coming in, I think we started at nine or eight, whatever it was, uh, and go four hours, and they had to drive an hour to the gym and come back, and, and everybody's on pins and needles. And I didn't want that, man. I mean, Yes, it's good in a way uh, to be on pins and needles, and oh man, you're 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 constantly having to fight, 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 fight. And yes, that's part of the process. But at the same time, you do need to be calm enough, you do need to relax enough to where you can understand what you're doing and slow down and get a grasp of the mental part of this business. And that's the biggest part that, that can kill you. The physicality. A lot of those guys, again. Rollins, uh, Drew, um, Heath, all those, uh, all those guys could handle the physicality. It's a mental part of this. Uh, they can, they can, re- <laughs> they can really destroy you. And I got that sometimes. I, I remember having a conversation with Seth when he first came in, and John had called me and told me he was my project. Well. I didn't know Seth, and Seth didn't know me. And there was another fellow there who he knew a lot better. And I let, I sat down and talked to him, and, and one of the things I said was, I get the impression you don't really like people. And he's shaking his head, no, like, no, I don't. And I said, I understand that. I don't like people either. I get it. But if there's anything I can do for you when you're here, just let me know. I'm not going to push you, man. Just let me know. 
So he he worked the drills. And what I meant by pushing him, I wasn't going to, hey, you okay? Hey, man, everything good? Hey, but hey, buddy, come on. Unless he needed that. If he, if he needed it, he was that kind of guy. If he needed something, if he wanted to talk to you, he would. But he's like that dog that comes in. You know, he's a bad dog. He's a badass dog. You know, but he's a really good dog. You know, you just you, sometimes he wants to be left alone. He'll growl at you, but but once you earn his trust or his or his respect, uh, then he'll come come up to you. And uh, if you want to feed him, he'll if he's hungry, he'll he'll eat. Or if he's thirsty, he'll drink. And if he wants to know know something or ask you for something, he'll ask. And that's where that's kind of the way I approached um, most of the guys in that respect. And uh, if I needed to have a talk with somebody, I would pull them aside and have the appropriate talk. Seth is one of those guys you could talk to straight, and he and he doesn't want to hear the uh, the candied bullshit covering it up. Just just tell me what you want to tell me. Uh, ask me what you want to know. I'll tell you what I want you to hear. I'll tell you what you you what I feel. Um, I need to tell you, and I got that. I understood that, and. He wasn't the only one like that. There were a lot of people who kind of came in not sure and looking kind of cockeyed sometimes, going, what in the world are we doing? <laughs> and, and sometimes I would give them an adequate answer, and sometimes I couldn't, I guess. So, yeah, it was um, it was an interesting time, to say the least. How did that kind of project work out for you? Like as it's going along, how was Seth with you? Well, that's the whole thing. There, there was uh, Joey Mercury was there, and Joey and and Seth. Uh, Joey was instrumental in bringing Seth in and and recruiting, as as it was said. Joey, Joey's a smart guy too, and I, I believe Joey, uh, Seth, and Joey connected more. They were more of a, a similar age too, and similar attitude and similar. Uh, thought process i'm not going to fight that i'm not going to say hey you're my project hey i gotta take no 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 (laughs) if you're going to progress with this guy better and we'll just whatever you need from me let me know um that's how that worked uh so we had i i thought it was a great relationship going on because i i never came in and said hey this is what i need you to do because that's not the way it works you you find a way to communicate, and if it's bringing someone else in to help communicate your vision or your views, then so be it. And uh, that's that's to me that's that's how it worked, and I think that's uh, that's one of the better ways to work. I believe if you're you can't if you if you're honest or direct with the person you're talking to, they're going to know if you're honest or direct. Because a lot of these guys could smell bullshit a mile away. Some could, some couldn't, but a lot of them could. So we we didn't bullshit them a whole lot. I mean, I'm sure they were bullshitted a little of some, but for the most part, uh, we were directing what we wanted, directing what we needed, and directing what we were trying to do. Now, this is something that we talked about very, very briefly but I really want to ask you about this because this is, was so cool and a great part of the documentary that they focused on, the quote-unquote Dr. Tom special, the man in the middle, the 60-minute matches, the one-hour broadways, whatever you want to call it. What 
was that all about? Can you describe the Dr. Tom special? The man in the middle is designed for you to do a move over and over so you don't have to think about it. These are basic, simple moves in the beginning, and then we add to it. They're just different sets that will come up in the match. Um, One man starts in the middle. We have sometimes, depending on the class, I would have but usually an ideal man in the middle. You have one guy in the middle and two men on each corner. Uh, this guy starts, and he does a headlock takeover from the first corner, headlock takeover second corner, same thing in the third, same thing in the fourth. He comes back to the first guy and does a headlock takeover again, so he does it five times. Then we go to the second corner, and he does a go-behind switch, takeover, head scissor kick out, and he goes that five times. And then the next corner, he will feed for an arm drag, come up, and we'll add, either add to it or keep it simple. Usually we just came up, they're doing it for the first time, you t- you the corner man feeds from arm drag, come up, arm drag him off. Or we'll call a spot in there where it's just a simple spot, hitting the ropes, coming back, uh, put the guy behind you, O'Connor roll, drop toe hold, whatever it is we call it. Uh, then we do a fireman's uh, carry, come up, do the arm twist, put it under your left armpit, arm drag the guy off, do an ankle pick. We do all these five times in the same time with different people, but one guy stays in the middle. Now, it's repetition, repetition, repetition. This is the way you learn this, by doing it over and over and over. Different people um, and different body types feel different, obviously. So you have to be able to know, is this guy leaning on you? Is he? Is his timing off? You learn timing. You learn to slow down. You learn to... Um, to, to how it's supposed to feel, because I would lock up with them using show them. This is how it is. This is how it's supposed to feel. And as soon as I step through with my my feet and I put my foot behind me, you go over my hip, and I'm not yanking you over. You're taking your own bump. Feel this? Yes, I feel this. Then you go out and do it with somebody, and the guy's yanking yanking him over, pulling him over, hurting him, and you're going to get hurt in the process. That's not what this is about. But you do this over and over and over, and sometimes it can take. I know how to make it go 15 minutes. I know how to make it go 45. I can make it go an hour. I can make it go two hours. It's all in what we need for you to do. It's all what we need to see. It's all what we need to get out of you. If I'm looking at you and I'm seeing your footwork, I'm seeing the way you move, I'm seeing the way you stand in the ring, do you keep your head up? Do you bend over? Are you? Uh, is your hair in your face? We've got to see body length. You've got to see your face. Your face is what sells. Emotion. And uh, that's what the man in the middle was about, repetition and getting used to it to where you go out there and, you know, some guys could just go out there and uh, you don't have to talk about the match at all. You, you you just go out there and you feel it. And that's the idea. That's what what was behind the man in the middle. You know what you're going to do. You, we have this move set. Okay, now that you know it enough, you can read body language. You can tell the guy when he's coming off. You can read him if you get that good. Uh, later on, I, I remember very, very succinctly in uh, Florida, um, Pensacola for Continental, that's as a heel, I started learning how to read body language a lot more and, and understood body language a lot more and how it plays a huge part in what we do. So that's where Man in the Middle came from. Uh, you do it enough times with different people to where you understand, oh, he's not going to come at me the same way this guy did. He's going to have a 
uh, two more steps or one more step. I've got to read that. I've got to see how he feels when we lock up. I've got to know from the first time I grabbed the first hold, which should be or could be or sometimes or not all the time, whenever you grab a headlock and you step through to take the guy over. You'll know if he knows or not. And if he doesn't know, that's when you know not to try any real stupid or crazy stuff. Keep it simple, and you can tell a great story. And you can tell a great story with a man in the middle drill. It all, it all adds up into a match. All the, all the moves are progressing into where I tell, I tell everybody, now we're going to have a match doing man in the middle moves. And you're going to see, you can have a 12-minute match, we can make it a six-minute match. We can make it an eight-minute match. And it's all – that was the, the cool thing about it to, to, to demonstrate and show these guys how it all came together. We weren't, I wasn't just doing it to blow you up. That wasn't the purpose behind it. The purpose behind it is to get you used to what we're doing. We could do drills all day long. I could have you do 1,000 push-ups and 1,000 squats all day long. But in over 40 years of being in wrestling, in over 50 years, hell, close to 60 years of watching wrestling, not one time have I ever stopped in the middle of a match. Now, Superstar Billy Graham has, and some guys have, but I've never done a push-up or I've never stopped to do a squat in a match. But I have done arm drags. I've done drop kicks. I've done drop toe holds. I've done O'Connor rolls. Um, uh, fireman's carry. I've reversed a hammerlock. I, I've shot a guy off the ropes. I've taken tackles. I've leapfrogged. I've put you behind me. I've done scoop slam, power slam. Those are the things that I was teaching. Those are the things I thought were important. The wrestling part. The in-shape part is going to come even working, but the in-shape part, it used to be, um, you know, you went to the gym on your own time, and you 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 worked out appropriately and uh, following that schedule. But when we were in the ring, I wanted to do wrestling drills. And man in the middle is a great wrestling drill for repetitions, getting in ring shape, and learning how to react naturally, learning how to react to body language. Uh, real quick, real quick story. I've only wrestled uh, Steve Regal one time, and it was in Deep South at the, at the training center. He, he had just dropped by one time uh, talking to somebody in the ring. I was standing in the ring, too. They got out, and he looked at me. He just started circling. I started circling back. We just locked up. Didn't say a word the whole the whole match. He grabbed a hold. I countered. If he didn't want me to go, uh, he blocked me. If I didn't want him to go, I blocked him. But we knew what was next. We read each other's body language. Just, just that's the feeling. That's what you want to get to, to where you can go out and have a match with anybody as long as they understand what we're doing. <laughs> we're, we're following and we're leading. Somebody's got to lead, somebody's got to follow. Then when he stops leading and he says, okay, now it's your turn to follow, he doesn't have to say, hey, now you t- or your, your turn to lead. He doesn't have to say, hey, now it's your turn to lead. He can just feel it when he's giving you the moves. He's, he's now uh, giving power over to you to call the spots and, and do what you do. And you don't call it. You just shoot him off and you read the body language. How are we coming off? What is he going to do? Uh, what's the man in the middle going to do? Is he going to drop down? Is he going to leapfrog? You, ha- you know, what are you reading his face? What's the body language? And that's the purpose of that. Now, I just kind of inexplicably threw two things together at once. Man in the middle is definitely way different than the 60-minute matches. It could be 60 if you do it, but these 60-minute matches actually completely different. I meant the 
60-minute Iron Man versus Dr. Tom, which, oh, I okay. wanted, which is what I wanted to get to now. I, I yes. don't know why I kind of inexplicably put them together. But, yes, Man in the Middle um, is so fascinating and so cool because they don't realize it, but it's really right, a lot of repetition. Right. And and then, like, you're almost like muscle memory where it's like, wow, I, I know to do that just from being doing Man in the Middle 100 times in a row. Correct. That that's that's exactly what it was. The the sixty minute draw. Yeah, that's uh, only way different, but which is so it, interesting because how the hell could these greenhorns go sixty minutes? But obviously you're the one kind of leading it. Yeah, yeah, I did it with a couple of them. Then I had uh, uh, had them work with each other too. But I did it with with a few of them. I, I did it uh, with Heath, and I also did it with um, uh, Rick uh, Thompson, but uh, Connor and. Uh, Victor. Uh, Victor uh, with Victor. I did it with Victor, and uh, I did it with. Hmm, I did it with a couple, man. But the, the one with Heath um, was, yeah, about ten minutes in. Um, he he had come off on the injury. I do remember that, and we were right in the middle of doing these hour long Broadways, and um, so I wanted him to do one. Uh, he was Heath is one of those guys that you can't uh, you, you you can't manufacture. He has to be real, and he he's that he's really that guy. He's handsome Heath Slater, and when he was we ran in Bourbon Street, we gave him his own segment, uh, ten minutes of being handsome Heath's happy hour, and do a promo part in the show, but. I wanted to work with him just to show him that it's all about breathing. If you just relax, that's all you have to do. I mean, you have to know what you're doing. Yes, you have to know how to follow. Yes, and yes, you do need to be in shape. But at the same time, uh, if you know how to breathe and uh, just relax, don't think too hard, just follow, you'll be fine. Well, in in 10 minutes into the match, I called backdrop. He says, no, it's a backdrop, you son of a bitch. I didn't say that. But anyway, he he shot me off. I hit the road corner, came out, backdropped, and I landed wrong on my ankle. And I said, pin me or cover me, and he covered, and I kicked out. And uh, I cut him off, and I grabbed the arm. So he thought we were going to quit. I said, no. And we did a few more spots, and uh, finally, I think the last 45 seconds, because we had somebody time it, I said, okay, we're going to start the comeback. And uh, we did a double down, came back up, and he started to come back. And with like 10 seconds left, I said, sleeper, and he shot me in, he put me in the sleeper hold, and he's grabbed me, grabbed me, grabbed me, or he has me in the sleeper hold, and I'm selling, selling, selling. They rang the bell, and he goes over to the side of the ring and pukes. So, uh, right there, it was a great story. Right there alone, just the fact making him puke. But everybody's around watching this this match, and uh, so I, I get out. My ankle's really swollen, and I thought, oh, Christ, man, I hope I didn't break it. And sure enough, I did. Uh, so, but I didn't go to the uh, walk-in clinic until the next day. I didn't. I couldn't get an appointment with my doctor. But I went to the walk-in clinic, and they said, yeah. Sure did. Give me a boot. But um, yeah, the the hour Broadways, as I said, you know, you may never go an hour, but you may. And even if you don't, at least you can say, 
yeah, I did an hour of Broadway, and I and I got through it, and I knew how to. It's not that you know, it's like it's like confronting that demon or that monster. Uh, it's pretty scary when you don't know what you're facing. You do it's pretty scary until you hit him in the nose, and he goes, "Ow, hey, that hurt." So the same thing with the hour of Broadway. You know, oh my God, it's an hour. Yeah, it's an hour. But I, I learned a long time ago, Dory Funk Jr., all the NWA champions used to have going hour. Dory would have like um, 10 six-minute matches uh, in his in his head when he'd get in the ring. And he'd do this for the first six minutes, the next six minutes, next six minutes. I mean, that's one way to look at it. But I, I just looked at it as I know how to tell a story. I know what we're going to next. I know what body part we're going to go to next. And if it doesn't work that way, I'm going to try something else. But you're just going to breathe, and in the end, you know you're going to go Broadway, so you need some false finishes, and you need to uh, tell the story. And that that's really what it is. And if you love wrestling, if you love the business, um, it you'll <laughs> it may be difficult at first, but but you'll appreciate it in the end. Kind of really cool as far as the story with Heath Slater is concerned. And, you know, you're obviously older and a lot older than he was, and he's puking and you're fine, and he breaks your ankle. And I think it's pretty cool in the documentary. He still has the boots. I guess you yeah. gave him the boot. Yeah, I did. I sure did. When I got out of it, I think I was in it for four weeks or something, whatever it was. And I don't remember if he asked for it or if I just said, come here, I'm going to give you something. I don't know, because that was cool. I mean, uh, like I said, that's a good story in itself. And I made that kid puke. And I broke my, I did it on a broke ankle. Hey, what about that? Yeah, well, but that's not the way I'd say it, but that's the way I can say it. I mean, yeah, it was, it was very cool. And it obviously means something to him because he says he still has it. He still displays it in his house. Yeah, but, but those guys, guys like Keith, guys like Kofi Kingston, TJ, Natty, and Kurt Hawkins, another guy who loved the business, uh, Drew, Drew and Seamus, again, coming from, my God, Ireland and, and Scotland and, and coming over here, and uh, they're big boys. They're, they're big, rugged, intense uh, guys. And um, but they were always respectful, and they always loved the business. You could tell, and 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 that's one thing that that uh, I, I made notice of with the guys who came in just to come in to be stars, just to come in to be famous, and oh, I played football, and I'm a big star for all my football team, <laughs> and everybody loves me and tells me how great I am. Uh, it's going to be a breeze. And those are the guys I would watch. And those are the guys who got tired really easy. And, oh, my back hurts today. And, oh, gosh, I just don't know if I can make it. And, oh, I'm going to be a little late. You're going to be what? Okay, no problem. So uh, we'd make note of it and uh, tell them, please don't be late again. I'd ask them, please don't be late again. Uh, and I would let John, I would let the office and Ty, there's Ty again, let him know who was late, who wasn't. But I didn't, I, I wasn't about gotcha. I wasn't trying to get anybody. I would just tell him, please don't be late again. Uh, because if you do, I've got to tell John and he's going to have a talk with you and we need you to be on time. We need you to be used to being on time, getting that habit. And that's, that's something everybody needs to understand. WWE is a business, and uh, uh, there's times it's unavoidable. You, you, you're going to be late. I get it, but don't make it a habit. 
And if you are late, make sure you call me. And as long as you called me and you had a reason and there was there was uh, legit, um, I had no problem with that. I'm not going to call the office and say, do you know he was late today, man, because his mom was uh, having asthma and he had to go down and take her to the hospital. That son of a bitch. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah, I can believe it. You know, so that wouldn't – those those weren't uh, issues until they became issues. So, And I think that, like you said, the most vital part of that education down there, besides you guys kind of learning who's going to make it and who's not going to make it, is running those shows, those live events, those house shows, doing the TV, whether, you know, be a small town, flea market, bar, armory, parking lot, gym, you know, whatever it may be. You really do think that's kind of the most important thing, just to get out there in front of a live crowd no matter how many people it is? Well, it's like being a stand-up comedian. You can have the greatest jokes in the world and tell them in front of your mirror, in front of your uh, mom and dad or your family, whatever it is. You know, They're going to go, oh, that's great, that's great, that's great. But until you go out and uh, feel the heat from a live audience who who only knows you from <laughs> watching you walk on stage and getting a, a response or listening motion from them is, is uh, then you're going to know if you're if you're feeling it if they are feeling it too with you or they're not and um, you know some guys came in and and had one idea about professional wrestling and what they felt it was and thought it was and. And even with working with us for weeks, they'd still go out and want to try it their way. And we would uh, sometimes politely and sometimes not so politely say, just do what we ask you to do and everything will be fine. And the ones that got it stayed and the ones who did it didn't. But I do believe that's that's the most important part because you, you have to have a reaction. You have to have people um, – that's what this is. I know they just had a, a empty arena deal SmackDown and the performance center. That's great too. Those are pros. So I mean, but when you start, you're first starting and you're first learning and uh, hell, even just getting out there, you have to know if what you're doing is 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 right. And by right, meaning, do people care? Do you connect with the audience? Uh, this is communication. This is uh, connecting. We're performers. We're wrestlers, yes, um, but you have to have passion, and the, and the audience, uh, the crowd has to feel your passion. They have to get into it with you. You know, why would a guy like Steve Austin, who wears black trunks, black boots, black vest, bald head, and a goatee, how, I mean, or, or mustache and a beard, whatever it's called, how, how can someone with no color whatsoever in his ring gear, nothing come out, but was one of the biggest stars in the business. What was it? His charisma, that personality, that persona that was real. He connected. People felt it. He felt it. And you know the difference. So, you know, you have to find that. Steve went through some incarnations as well and found out who he was and, 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 and finally hit on Stone Cold Steve Austin but he couldn't have done that unless he had live interaction to get that reaction from from people and uh, having them care about him. So I think that's a huge effect. One of the biggest things you, you have to do uh, is learn how to work in front of a live crowd, get rejected, and find out what works and find out what doesn't and keep what does and throw away what doesn't. And I think there's so many guys that came through FCW 
that did make it to the main roster, which we mentioned way earlier on in the episode, and the guys became huge stars even today. Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan did come in, obviously, a huge independent star, but did go through there. Paige came through there. Uh, Bailey came through there. Titus O'Neil, Trinity, uh, a.k.a. Naomi, Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Kofi Kingston, Natalia. I mean, a lot of huge, huge stars. So when Vince says two and, you, you know, you give him 22, it's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive. That's, that's that's what I mean. People, uh, the guys who didn't like FCW, I, I think didn't like wrestling in general because that was pretty much a, a Rocky style gym, if you want to say so, mm-hmm. where it was uh, down and dirty for the most part, hot in the summertime, cold in the wintertime. Um, but you know, it puts you through the test. It, 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 kind of let you see what you were made of it 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 gave you a taste of uh guess what kid uh you have something to fight for something to look forward for something to uh uh man you know when i was training i trained just as hard and and now that i'm on the main roster and i have all the glitz and glamour you know they, they always i've always heard the expression stay hungry but once you get somewhere where it's you know, buffet all the time, catering all the time, and and you really don't have to look far for for nourishment or satisfaction or reassurement, reassurement or, or, or reinforcement, I guess. Um, sometimes I don't know if this is true for everybody, but sometimes it does get a little lacking, and, and you're not so urgent to 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 even stay sharp anymore. I don't know that that goes for anybody today on the roster, but I know it's happened before to some people. And, uh, you know, FCW was a place you could go and, and you could stay sharp. You could work on anything you wanted from promos to, uh, to moves. And we had all the guys there that, that had uh, some really great minds and really great ideas and, and, Gave you some innovative offense, innovative stuff. Norman Smiley and Billy Kidman were two of the best on that. Uh, giving talent ideas for holds and uh, moves and ideas to do in the ring. And once you get to Raw SmackDown, sometimes you have mentors that, that want to work with you. Uh, sometimes you're left to your own devices, which is good on both parts. It's the entertainment business. It's competitive, and it's, there's, there's no one that can say, this guy's going to make it. And this guy's not, because nobody knows. Nobody knows until it happens. It's it's because of the audience, and it's because of the magic that you can create. And um, that was a perfect spot to do it, because it was an intimate setting. I don't think anybody was intimidated by Dusty Rhodes once they'd been there a month at least and learned his his manner, his way of doing things, his way of getting inside your head, and his way of manipulating uh, the environment to when you came in and you go, oh, what is this? And then it was meant for you to think. It was meant for you to come up with something. It was meant. And um, that that was the approach we took. What did you think about the end of the FCW? Did you see it? Was the writing on the wall? Were you surprised? when they kind of went in a different direction with Triple H, NXT, and the Performance Center? No, we could see the writing on the wall. At least I could see the writing on the wall. Uh, there, there, was, there, there, was, there was changes in the wind. And 
you know, it's a corporate entity. WWE is a corporation, and they're a publicly traded company. Um, you know, John Laurinaitis wrestled in the States. He wrestled in Japan. He, he, he was one of the boys. Now he's, he's in the office, but he, but he still knows what it's like. He knows how to talk to people uh, the way he needs to talk, to talk to them. If he needs to talk sternly, he'll talk sternly. If he needs to talk a little softer and, and with an understanding voice and an understanding nod of the head, he'll do that too. Um, but you had guys, you know, after Ty was fired, then you, you brought in the other guy. And they approached it the way they knew how to approach it. And my take was, we've been busting our ass here for five years, and you come in and you talk to the guys this way, uh, and it didn't endear him to, didn't endear himself to anyone. Uh, but he didn't care. He didn't care if he endeared himself to anyone or not. He's going to job to do, and he's going to do it the way he does it. I understood it, but I wasn't taking it real well. I saw the writing on the wall, um, and. Uh, when the end came, I expected it. I understood it. And uh, that was it. I mean, that was it. So the end of FCW happened. They start up NXT. Like you mentioned before, you're not a part of it. You, know, you get fired or, you know, whatever that happens, they have the, the change. Did you think that you were going to be kind of a part of NXT or you, you knew? No. no, you didn't. Okay. No, I knew. I knew. Uh, he was moving uh, to Orlando regardless, but he wanted to get everybody in place. And uh, I had learned <laughs> there was a plan in place. And that's that's cool. I mean, once again, um, it, it's a grind. And those guys at the PC, the, the coaches, they work their butts off. They they really do. Everybody. They're, it's just it's the culture. It is a culture. Nobody uh, goes in there without working hard. It, it's, it's just expected. Um, no, if, if anybody has to tell you what to do, then you're in the wrong place. But I knew um, Hunter wanted a whole different vibe. He wanted a whole different uh, set of rules, set of uh, set of players. So, I mean, that's cool. I understand. No, there's no hard feelings on my part, and I would venture to say if they had, you asked them the same thing after eight years, I think they would say, no, nah, there's no hard feelings. It's all business. I mean, it's a personal business, but but it's all business. So I get that. So with the documentary coming out and FCW, obviously, the doors closing many, many years ago, what's kind of your overall thoughts? on the documentary just as I know you said it was good. You liked it, but just overall thoughts as it brought all the memories back, was it, you know, was, was it nice watching it? Did you have overall great reaction? Or were you thinking like, Oh, it's kind of bittersweet looking back. Oh no, I had a great reaction. When, when we were talking for four hours and some of these things came up, I, I had an emotional tie to it and I thought, you know, yeah, it, it's how I felt at the time. But, uh, looking back and knowing what I know now uh, about the time that things were going on, um, I, I there's nothing I could have done differently to stop or change it. There's nothing. And watching the documentary back, um, I, I, I appreciate the fact that everybody had fond memories of it 
uh, these many years later. The only negative I heard was about Alfred, and I agree 100% because Alfred was a slime ball. Uh, Alfred was a guy who had no respect for anybody, including himself. He would lie, um, just flat out tell you one thing, and then lie to your face the next day, lie to people about you. I mean, he did it with the kids. He tried to do it with me, tried to bury the guys with me, and I wouldn't listen to it. And that's one of the reasons I had a conflict with him, too. But um, that was the only... You know, but but you, but you had characters like that, and you had to have characters. Again, it was it was pretty much Steve was reliant on on people to get things done, and we had a shoestring staff, and you had to do what we had to do. And Alfred had a printing shop, and he was he wanted to be involved, and he wanted to uh, you know, as you have characters like that, want to tell stories in the dressing room, be one of the boys and get to know the guys and all that stuff. And it was just a pain in the ass, but look, watching the documentary, uh, overall was great. And and it really did bring back memories and it, and it was, and they were good memories. Um, they really were. Cause I met some really great people. And, and to this day that, that have, have reached out and, uh, and still communicate and still say, hey, how are you? And, and let me tell you what I did last night. Like I said, Kofi reached out when he did his Broadway or had to do the gauntlet match. So did Natty. Um, Robbie, Bobby Roode uh, reached out not too long ago. Well, it's been a few months now. But but there's guys that will text and just to say hello, and they're from FCW and, and talk about, and, and we'll say, hey, I, I really remember those times when I had a great time. They don't have to say that. It, it makes me feel good when they do. And, I, again, it, it humbles me, and it, uh, I don't know what else to say except thank you to them. I, I really don't know how to react to that. And I say, oh, man, you've done so much for me. And I, and I, I look at them, and I really want to say, I don't know what I did. I, honest to God, I don't know what I did. But if, if that's the way you feel, I'm glad I did it. And, and whatever it was, and however however it worked out, you know, they, the famous thing is they don't always remember what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. Maybe that's the case, and that's a lot to do with coaching. I think I think coaching is is instilling confidence and also allowing you to create and be yourself, and also be reined in when you need to be reined in. And some guys needed to be reined in. Some guys need to be sat down and said, chill out relax uh real quick i had a guy i had a guy two big guys matter of fact i won't mention names um but but they were we were working and they were getting a little not yeah they were getting snug and then it became stiff and then it became really stiff and the, the guy was supposed to duck a clothesline didn't duck a clothesline and we tell everybody man you're gonna throw that clothesline throw that clothesline don't throw it like you're trying to miss. Throw it like you're trying to hit. It's up to him to duck. Well, he didn't duck, and he got his head taken off. And he wanted to fight the guy, and I told him, no, 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 no. Chill out. Go home. I mean, this was during the end of practice, but go home. And next day I talked to him, saying accidents happen, but that was your fault. Uh, and you also have to just you got to take it, eat it, and move on. So sometimes you have to have those talks. And uh, not everybody responds well to him, but he did, and he understood. So uh, I thought overall it was great. I mean, FCW is a great time. Everybody capsulized it, I think, <laughs> or 
uh, pretty much put it in perspective from their point of view and um, couldn't ask for anything better. I thought everybody was great on it. I really did. So what is going on in the world of the JPWA? Well, coronavirus has infected the world. But not JPWA, because we still plan on starting April 6th uh, for our 12-week course. Unless, uh, uh, until further notice, uh, we still have our new class beginning April 6th. It is the day after what WrestleMania is supposed to be. Uh, but we don't know about that either at this time. So, other than that, I had some uh, stuff, uh, but I'm waiting to hear back. I've had two people cancel on me right now because of all this stuff, and it's just getting crazy out there. Nobody wants to uh, nobody wants to be the one at ground zero where people are, become sick, and they say, well, where have you been for the last month? Well, let's see. I went to JPWA, then I went to this camp. Oh, yeah. And then I got sick. So nobody wants to do that. So if it starts getting really hairy, we're going to kind of shut things down. But right now we're still open for business and we plan to start April 6th with our new class and uh, go from there. Nice. Also, of course, JPWA is on ProWrestlingTees.com. Dr. Tom is on there as well. Highly suggest getting a shirt. I love the Wanted Dead for a live shirt, which I always mention. Also, Patreon. A Patreon has been set up where you can become a patron and support JPWA. Of course, JPWA's website is jpwrestlingacademy.com. Follow Dr. Tom on Twitter at Dr. Tom Pritchard. You can follow me at Two Man Power Trip. Dr. Tom, anything else going on in the world with Dr. Tom? Uh, you know, uh, every day. Every day, I just wake up and uh, wait to see what happens. Our guys at JPWA are doing great. Uh, the Brothers of Seduction, uh, Jake Tucker, the mother lover, and uh, Cam, the prince, uh, Dylan McQueen, Tyler Shoup, uh Kyle Sweeney. We, we've got some uh, some really cool guys at uh, JPWA. we got uh, Max Abel who is uh, one of our, our students who is a sleeper. He's a, he's a black sheep who is coming up from behind. And uh, a lot of people are trying to write him off, but he's one of those guys that never say die and never quits. And uh, that's the kind of attitude I like. And so we're, 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 we're moving right along uh, at a good time frame. We're in our second year. And uh, I'm, man, March is almost over, and uh, uh, time really goes by fast, but we're we're accomplishing more and more, and we hope everybody comes out on the 6th, too. That's April 6th for our next session. Nice. And I hope everybody out there stays uh, happy, stays healthy, stays safe, and I'd like to thank everybody for joining us this week, like they do every week, for taking you to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.